Well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here with you this morning and um, looking forward to how God is going to speak to us this morning. We moved several times uh, when I was growing up. Um, So the longest stretch of time that I spent at one church was actually seven years. So um, this was in uh, New Vienna, Ohio at the New Vienna Church of Christ, which is what Christian churches are called up north. And uh, it was a really special time in my life. Um, there was a, the, the senior minister there, and his uh, was named Sid Clay, and his wife was Judy. And um, they took a real um, liking to my family, and I'm real grateful for that. But even more importantly, they took a special interest in me. And, you know, I was your typical kid at that time. I was kind of... Um, cocky, a little bit obnoxious, but they took a special interest in me, and I'm so grateful that they did. It made a big difference in my life. Um, In 2011, while on furlough from the mission field, we had the privilege of attending this church's 150th year anniversary at New Vienna Church Christ, and it was a special time of remembering, you know, the, the impact that the church had made on the community, and Sid and Judy were there that morning, and I'll never forget Sid standing up there at the pulpit, and he, and he was introducing our family and talking about how the, the church had been supporting us for all of those years. And he just got, he got really emotional uh, thinking about how somebody from that church, one of their sons and daughters, had been on the mission field. And um, that was just one of the, those moments that I'll never forget. Now, we have all had uh, people invest in our lives in a meaningful way. They saw something in us that we didn't see in ourselves They believed that we were capable of great things. They challenged us to aim high and be our best with our future in mind. Now, in the pages of Scripture, we see story after story of a God who chooses to invest in the lives of people. You want me to turn that off? All right. Is that off? Okay. Good. Don't don't let you hear me twice. So we've all had people invest in our lives in a meaningful way. In the pages of Scripture, we see God choosing to invest in the lives of people in a meaningful way. He sees potential. He sees his potential in them that they don't see in themselves. He knows that he is capable of doing great things through them. He challenges them. He challenges us to have enough faith to obey him and see him act. So today we're going to talk about the story of Gideon. We're going to see how God selected and inspired Gideon to have just enough faith to obey him and see him act. So turn with me to Judges chapter, chapter 6. We're going to be beginning in verse 1. Now I did not include the first four verses on the slide, so you'll just have to bear with me. Judges chapter 6. I'm excited to share this with you this morning because we're going to see how God took just your average person and he, he selected that person, not because that person was special, and he motivated and inspired this man to trust him and to obey him and to take step after step of faith and then to see God act in a powerful way that only God can do. So beginning in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. 
When the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So Midian would come seasonally and raid the land and destroy the crops and force the Israelites into hiding. And their response to this enemy invader was not one of courage, but they would flee. Now this was a period of history in the life of Israel where there was a a cycle that appeared. Israel would sin, they would turn away from the Lord, then God would, would hand them over to an enemy and they would be in bondage and slavery for a period of time. And then they would cry out to the Lord for help. And then God would send a deliverer. So Gideon is one of those deliverers. Continuing on in verse 7, this should be up on the slide. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Now think about this. Think about what God did in the Exodus, how he rescued Israel from the hand of a powerful oppressor, the Egyptian pharaoh. And he did miraculous signs and and led them out and looked at all that God did for Israel in giving them their own land. And this is how they responded. They didn't listen to him. They didn't trust him. They turned away from him. And so God is is hurt. He's, He's offended. And at the same time, continuing on in verse 11... The angel of the Lord will see God's response. Even though God is upset, even though God has every right to hand them over to their enemies and to leave them in the hands of their enemies, this is how our God responds to them. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I want you to zero in on this phrase, because this is how our God responds. When he has every right to judge, every right to forget about them, and to maybe move on and choose another nation, instead, God sends an angel to speak to them, and he has a plan. And I want you to zero in on this phrase that he says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, at this point, have we seen any evidence that Gideon is a mighty warrior? Why would God speak this over Gideon at this point? Why do you think? Has Gideon proven himself to be a mighty warrior at this point in the story? Why does God view him that way? And I'll submit to you that I believe that God is looking at a man, Gideon, not through the lens of Gideon's potential, in Gideon's ability and strength, but God is looking at Gideon through the lens of his own potential. God is looking at a man through the lens of God's own potential, God's own ability and capacity and power. And therefore, he is able to say truthfully to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So here is 
the key takeaway from that, and this is the theme of my talk with you this morning, is that God sees you through the lens of his own potential. Not through yours, not through mine, not through our own ability, but he sees his ability. And he knows what he is able and capable of doing through us. When God asks us to take a step of faith, our natural response is to stumble over our own potential. Who am I? What can I do? But this is the wrong question. The right question is, who is God? What is his potential? What might he do through me? And this is for later in the story, but another key point to keep in mind, and go ahead and bring that up, is that eventually obedience is required before God can begin to release his full potential through you. And we'll see that in this story. We'll see God choose an ordinary man and do something extraordinary in his own power just because Gideon is willing to take step after step of faith and obey and then see God act and do something amazing. Verse 13, But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? See, Gideon didn't witness the exodus. He was going on the stories that he had been told. And so he has questions. And here's his judgment is that, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So he doesn't realize who's speaking to him yet, does he? And he's honest. In a moment of transparency, in a moment of honesty, he admits he has doubts. He doesn't see evidence of this powerful God. So the first step in our faith journeys, and it, when we all began it, and maybe some of you haven't, it's to be gut-level honest with God. Effectual faith, or faith that moves, faith that works, always begins with gut-level honesty. And we've all had our moments. I've had my moments where I'm before the Lord and I'm saying, God, I know what the Scripture says, but it's not what I'm experiencing. And I'd ask Him to inform me. I ask Him to show me. I ask Him to confirm to me that He is who He says He is. And so in this moment where Gideon has enough faith, he doesn't just outright reject what the angel of the Lord... You notice he doesn't even say, I'm not a mighty warrior. I mean, maybe he, maybe he has some battle experience. I don't know. But he doesn't even address that. He just says, God has abandoned us. God is not with us. And, it, and there's so, that's so powerful when we're willing to be honest and transparent before the Lord. I think that's the beginning of effectual faith. Just being honest about where you're at, where I'm at, it's so important. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God says, you are the answer. You know, Gideon says, where, where is God? And God says, I'm sending you. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Who am I to go do this great work? Verse 16, the Lord answered, 
I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Isn't this such a human response to the call of God? Go ahead and bring up the next point. When God tells us to do some great work, our response is often to excuse ourselves. When God tells us to do some great work, our response is often to excuse ourselves, right? Who am I? Who who am I to do this thing that you've asked me to do, God? You've got the wrong guy. And why is that? Why, Why do we respond that way? When God tells us to do some important work, our response is to excuse ourselves. I'll tell you why, in my opinion, is that our weakness causes us to overlook God's involvement. Our weakness that we know so well, so intimately, causes us to overlook God's involvement, that he plans to be involved. So bring up the next point. What is God calling you to do? And if your instinct is to excuse yourself, this may be an important clue. I know that's the way it is in my life. If God's asking me to do something easy, no problem. If he's asking me to take a step that actually requires faith, then my tendency is to excuse myself and say, you've got the wrong guy. Surely you have somebody else in mind other than me. So when, you, we, when we resist God's calling, this is an important clue. I'm not going to read all the verses this morning, but verses 17 through 24, Gideon allows, or God allows Gideon to perso- propose a sign of confirmation. Some of you are familiar with this story. Gideon asks for a sign, and God consumes his offering with fire to confirm his identity, and then Gideon realizes exactly who's been talking to him. And I think at that point his faith grows from just a small seed, it grows just a little bit. In verse 25 through 27, I'll continue. Verse 25 through 27. After God confirms that he is the one speaking to Gideon, then he requires something of Gideon. He requires a step of obedience. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in daytime. Now again, this is such a human response. He has just enough faith to obey God, but he does it at night to kind of mitigate the risk, right? Minimize the chance that he's going to get into trouble. But he does obey. So you can see his faith beginning to grow. In verses 28 through 32, again, I won't read this, Gideon's obedience stirs up opposition amongst the other people in the town. He destroys the altar. They're upset. They're angry because this could bring divine retribution. This could make the gods angry. How dare you do this? But Gideon obeys. It it stirs opposition. His father goes to bat for him, and it subsides. Some call for Gideon to be put to death. Picking back up in verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So they're, they're about to attack. They're assembling for attack. And typically, what have the Israelites been doing when they, when they come to attack? Time to run, right? You know those shelters we build up in the clefts of the rocks? Let's, let's retreat. Let's hide. 
Let's, do, let's get away from the danger. But what does Gideon do? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. So look at the transformation. The man who said, God has abandoned us. The man who's, who goes and, and destroys the altar in the night to avoid risk. Now the enemy's coming. And as we learn later in the story, they're coming in swarms and droves. Look at his response. The Spirit of the Lord moves and he calls the people to arms. This is another significant step of faith. Rather than fleeing as they had before, they assembled to fight. Can you see the progression? God calls Gideon, then he gives Gideon a concrete sign that he is with him. Next, he requires an act of obedience, which stirs up opposition from within his own people. Some of you might be thinking this is your story. So when the enemy prepares to attack and the spirit of the Lord moves on him, Gideon is willing to take an action step of faith that entails significant risk. He's willing to put his life on the line and the lives of those who are willing to follow him. So you see his faith growing, and we're about to see God's power, which has been revealed progressively through the story. It's about to be revealed in a very powerful way. Verses 36 through 40, again, I won't read this. We're very, I'm, many of us are very familiar with this. God again indulges Gideon's hesitation. Gideon requests for additional confirmation that God would do what he said he would do. There's some fleece throwing that goes on. Gideon says, wet the fleece. God wets it. Gideon says, make it dry. He he lets it be dry. Now, I know that in my life and in your life, we've all engaged in a little fleece throwing, right? Where we are hoping that God will lead us through circumstances. Make it obvious, God. If you make it clear what I need to do, I'll do it. And God indulges him. God is patient. I mean, God has a plan, and he's going to do it. But look at the way he interacts with Gideon in this story. It's so encouraging to me that there's so many times when I fall short and when I'm not obedient, but God is patient because God has a plan. I think that's so significant. God is patient because he has a plan. And it doesn't depend on us, but by his grace, he's going to use us. It doesn't depend on us, but by his grace, he's going to use us. So moving on to chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, very familiar uh, passage where God um, reduces the fighting men from 32,000 to 300. This is crazy. I mean, who would go to battle like this? Okay, let's take the majority of our army and send them home. So first God says, if you're afraid, go home. A lot of them leave. And then he sends them by the water and and determines who's going to drink in a certain kind of way, that they're going to be vigilant, and it's only 300 that are left. 300 men out of 32,000 to face um, what Scripture says is an army numerous, very numerous, myriads of soldiers available to attack Israel. So picking up in verse 9 of chapter 7, During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. 
The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. So this is an imposing army that Gideon's facing. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Amazing, right? That they've even heard his name, that they're afraid of him. See how God has been working. But most importantly to me, God anticipates Gideon's hesitation. He anticipates Gideon's hesitation and provides enough encouragement to prompt his obedience. He anticipates Gideon's hesitation and provides enough encouragement to prompt his obedience. Now, I've personally experienced this, and I believe you have as well. God gives, we're we're hesitant to obey God. When God called my wife and I to the mission field, I remember being in that service where we both went down and committed our lives, and there was such hesitation, there was such fear. But God gave me just enough encouragement. He gave me just enough challenge, just enough faith to take that step. And I think that's what God is looking for amongst his people, is he's looking for people like Gideon, who are willing, they have just enough faith to take the next step, just enough faith to take one step, one step. And look at what God does in this story. Gideon takes one step, and then another, and then another. And now he's poised, and God's set things up so that he'll have just enough faith to take the next step and take on an impossible battle because God has encouraged him and given him confirmation that he is with Gideon. And isn't that what we're wanting to? We just want to know that God knows us, that he's with us, and that he has a plan, and that he doesn't need us, but he intends, fully intends to use us. So picking up in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He didn't act immediately. The first thing he did was he just worshipped. And, and we've all had those moments where we're just, we see God's hand in something so clearly. The first thing is to just praise him and thank him. But he doesn't stop there. Get up! He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And in verses 16 through 25, God leads Gideon through creative means to a decisive victory over Midian. So the last point on the slide is that God is seeking men and women with seeds of faith willing to take the next step of obedience. God is he's seeking men and women just with seeds of faith, even little faith. Throughout Scripture we see this. People who start with little seeds of faith, and then they grow. I think about Moses. He started out as so fearful, refusing to accept God's call, and then by the end he's going toe-to-toe with the most powerful man on earth at that time, the Pharaoh. And he's dictating terms. Just see what God can do 
with our little faith. He can grow it if we're willing to take just the next step of obedience. So what next step of faith is God asking you to take? Is it a step at home, at work, at school, in your marriage? Are you tempted to excuse yourself from obedience? Don't fall into the trap of focusing on your potential. Focus on God's potential. Consider His potential. Consider how He was able to convince someone with a habit of running from the fight. He, he, he took a man who was, he was hardwired to run from the fight, to hide, to avoid, and he convinced him to stand and fight and to rally the troops and to put their lives on the line, but ultimately to put their lives in the hands of an almighty God. And not just that, Think of the transformation that God can bring about in your life if you're willing to trust Him, to just take a step and to see Him act. So what is your step today? What is your step? What is the one step that God's asking you to take today, this week, this season, maybe this year? What is the step that God's asking you to take in your life? And if we focus on his potential and his ability, I think we'll be willing to take just that one step and then to see him act and then to see his power revealed and then for our faith to grow. What if we as a body of believers would be able to drink deeply from the well of encouragement that is God's potential? What if when we read stories like these, we would be emboldened to believe that God has the potential to do a great work through us. Then be willing to take personal steps of obedience because it doesn't start with all of us. It starts with you and it starts with me. If I in my life am willing to take personal steps of obedience and trusting the Lord and then we're all willing to do that together, think of what God can do. Then we'd be willing to take personal steps of obedience to see God act and then to collectively invite God to show his ability through us. How might our lives be different? How might our marriages be different? Our children, our places of business, our community, our nation. Let us believe in God's potential and obey his leading together. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I encourage you to come. Closing him? Okay. So the musicians would come. I encourage you to come. We'd be glad to pray with you and baptize you today as you begin your faith journey. It's no better time than right now. If, if you haven't understood what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, how he came and lived as a man like us, and how he lived a perfect, sinless life, and how he, he was willing to die on a cruel Roman cross for our sins, and that his substitutionary atonement has provided for you to be saved. If you haven't trusted Christ yet, we invite you to come today. We'll be glad to pray with you, to baptize you. If today is a day where you feel like you've, you've been wanting a church home, 
and, and you're ready to join this church on mission, then we invite you to come. If you just have prayer needs or you want, if you'd like me to pray with you or one of the, the elders of the staff to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. So um, let me pray and then we'll have the closing hymn. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the opportunity to be with other believers and to, to open your word and, and to glean insight. God, you're so powerful and you're so able, and we so often lose sight of what you're able to do. We focus so much on ourselves and how we feel small and how we feel unimportant and how our, our worries and our troubles, they weigh us down, Lord. We don't know how we're going to pay bills. We don't know how to manage the relationships that have problems in our life. We don't know how to, to deal with issues at work and, and maybe just stress about our, the direction of our nation and our world. But God, if we would just focus our hearts and our lives on you and on your ability and on your potential and your strength, then maybe we would be willing to take those little steps of obedience that you're asking for so that you can show yourself and so that you can lead us forward and um, leaving behind a legacy with our lives. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.